0: Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 227 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing how to spend our hard-earned money in ways that create a better world. My guest today is Tanya Hester. Tanya is the author of the new book called Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. Tanya, I am so thrilled to talk to you today. I must say I read every single page of Wallet Activism, so I'm particularly excited to pick your brain today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, and thank you for reading the whole book. You know, most interviewers do not do that. (laughs)
0: Well, I read a good book and yours was definitely a good one. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I uh, was president of the Environmental Club in high school and got involved in different activities in college. And then my main career was as a political consultant to progressive campaigns. So sometimes candidates, but a lot of times issue campaigns. And so I've really shaped my life around trying to make a positive difference. The question though was once we got to a point where my husband Mark and I were financially independent, I found that even as much as I'd been involved in the social change space, the climate justice space, I didn't have a great picture of what to do with the money. You know, what are the purchase decisions that actually make a difference? What are the other financial choices like deciding who to work for, deciding where to live, deciding where to keep your money, deciding how to donate, um, that would actually be impactful because I think we're surrounded by messages that are really motivated by marketers. So a lot of people want to tell us that, hey, buy this very fancy stainless steel water bottle so that you don't use plastic water bottles. And I felt like, you know, that seems like a false choice stainless steel is really resource intensive to create. It's hard to recycle when it's in a water bottle form. Is that really the right choice? And that really led me down this rabbit hole of looking for resources that could really guide me and not finding them. And so uh, my motivation for writing Wallet Activism was it was the book I wanted to read.
0: Hmm. Well, I agree with you when you say that it's not necessarily an easy read or perhaps for you an easy write reading about how organic food, the creation, the growing, the farming, the cultivation of organic food is actually more harmful for the environment in some cases than their conventional counterparts was personally (laughs) really difficult for me as I read that in your book. It just didn't seem to make Mm -hmm. much sense. But you did a great job uh, outlining why that might be the case. And that's just one of many Conundrums, I would say, that you really lay bare in wallet activism. And so I do want to talk to you about how we can each be activists in our money spending. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about capitalism, because it seems as though you had a lot to say about capitalism in your book. You say capitalism is essentially like putting the needs of the individual over the needs of the collective, and that in a capitalist society, some will win and some will lose. Is capitalism the problem?
1: I don't know that I would say that capitalism is the problem. I think capitalism is a problem. And it's not to say that we can't reform capitalism in some way to make it better serve the world, but we see as capitalism progresses. And and, and capitalism just basically being the idea that private enterprise owns the means of production. Or in other words, you get to own your own business. The government doesn't control that. There's nothing inherently bad about that, but it creates a set of incentives that Uh, drive the wrong kinds of behavior. So we see all the environmental degradation that we're looking at right now. I live in Lake Tahoe. Right now, we are watching some of our neighbors have to evacuate from an out-of-control wildfire that climatologists believe is because of global warming. So a lot is going on that we see, and that is because the incentives... That we've built into our economy, into our society, are around profit, not around maintaining the environment or about increasing equality or equity among people. It's how much can you squeeze out of people? How much can you squeeze out of the earth? Uh, And how can you turn that into profit in the most uh, efficient way possible? That's fundamentally the model. And my point with the book wasn't to say, you know, capitalism's terrible, we have to throw it all out. You could easily put in more regulations that would protect people, that would protect the planet. Um, We don't have those currently, but some countries do, but we need more of that around the world uh, to make a difference on climate change. But my point was more to say, this is the system we have, and it has a lot of flaws, but regardless of what you think of it, this is how we have to operate, at least for now.
0: Well, we also live within a democracy. We go to the ballot box and we create the world we'd like to see with the Little circles that we fill in on our ballot. Why is voting in a democratic system not the solution, in your opinion?
1: I don't think that it's not the solution. I think it's not the only solution. I worked in politics for a lot of years. I think voting is really important. I wish more people would take that duty seriously and would participate in the process. But there are a lot of things in our society that fall outside of governing outside of our choices of who we want to represent us at all levels. And I use the example early in the book of plastic water bottles. Uh, You know, when I was born 40 years ago, you couldn't get water in a plastic bottle. That wasn't a thing. Uh, And you think about how ubiquitous they are now. You can buy them everywhere. The ocean is full of them. You know, it's a huge problem around the world uh, that's driven a lot of fossil fuel extraction and they're rarely recycled. Well, have you ever voted on a single aspect of that? Have you said, you know what? I vote for more water bottles. (laughs) I vote for more plastic in the ocean. Um, You haven't. And so we need to recognize that voting is one mechanism for pushing change, uh, but that how we use our money is another one. And for most of us, it's bigger uh, because unless you're a billionaire who can buy politicians and put them in your pocket, you aren't necessarily going to have a big say in politics. And so we have power as a collective there, but with how you use your money, you actually oftentimes have a lot of power as an individual. And I wanted to make sure people understood that because so often the conversation is this either or. It's do we want to push for policy change and holding corporations accountable or do we want to push individuals to do these individual actions? I think that's a false choice. The answer is and. We need to push for the policy change, hold corporations accountable, and take responsibility for the fact that when we say corporations are doing all all this polluting or all this extraction, They're not just like sitting in a cave by themselves doing that stuff. They're doing it because we are feeding them. We are funding them. We are giving them our money and our business. And so when we say corporations are doing this or that, that includes us. So it's how can we take ourselves out of the equation of the most harmful behaviors and really focus on instead using our financial power for good.
0: Okay, so I'm on board. I want to use my (laughs) financial... Yeah, I want to use my financial power for good, and I think probably any listener listening right now is pumping their fist in the air, ready to do it. But the question then becomes how. A big part of deciding who's going to get our money versus who's not is in determining who's a good guy versus who's a bad guy, and I think that trips a lot of people up. I know in Mm -hmm. your book you use Walmart as the poster child bad guy. And so I have to ask you for anybody, I am the vessel for anybody who shops at Walmart, what is so bad about Walmart? And what can we do if Walmart prices the, you know, I don't even know what the slogan is, but the bottom of the barrel, the lowest price possible. What if that's all we can afford?
1: I want to be really clear that I was not interested in writing a book that was only for people who can afford Patagonia or who can afford to drive a Tesla or whatever we're going to deem as the most environmentally responsible choice. This is absolutely a book for people who need to shop at Walmart because it's their best option or need to shop on Amazon. Um, I know a lot of people who are mostly homebound by disability. Well, you need your stuff delivered then. And I'm I'm not trying to shame anybody for where they shop or how much packaging those things come in. It's about how can we interact with the bad guys knowing that they're bad guys and so making an effort to shop with them as ethically as possible or maybe shifting some of the things away from them that we can afford to. And frankly, a lot of it is just shopping less, which you know, I know talking about sustainable minimalism, that's something that I'm sure you agree with. Often, if, I think if you just know the entity that you're shopping with is Not doing right by the earth or our fellow humans, it's much easier to say, nah, I don't need this thing. We are trained to fill every void with stuff. And the less we can do that, the better. Specifically on Walmart, you know, I don't think Walmart makes particularly a big effort to push back against Uh, claims that they're a bad guy. They've recently raised their worker pay, but they have consistently for decades underpaid workers. They have discriminated against women. Uh, That's well-documented in reporting by others. Uh, They have very few women in leadership positions, despite women making up more than half their workforce. Uh, They have a huge environmental footprint around the world. They recently made this big claim about going um, completely carbon neutral without offsets, which sounds admirable, but it only includes their carbon footprint on site at the stores, rather than counting all the shipping, all the trucks, the trains, the ships they don't particularly seem concerned about being good stewards of the earth or particularly taking care of people. And, you know, you sort of have to respect the honesty in a weird way. (laughs) Uh, But I think for those who need to shop there, you know, I really talk about things like trying to avoid peak periods if you can. That's when worker injuries really increase. uh, And that's when some of the best deals happen. So if you need to do it for your own finances, you need to do it. No shame. Maybe you focus your wallet activism then in other areas and not necessarily in getting your essential products. But there there are things that we can do, especially when we're doing online shopping, to try to minimize the footprint of the shipping or the amount of packaging. Uh, And a lot of it really comes down to trying not to buy during peak periods if you can.
0: Okay, so let's talk about wallet activism as a how-to. What -hmm. is step one for anybody listening who has always sought to get the best deal? I mean, that's what we're trained to do in America, right? Get the deal, get the item you need at the cheapest price. What is step one for somebody who's always done that to transition into a more intentional and conscious way of spending their money?
1: I think that's so common. That's so drilled into us to want the best deal. And especially when so many workers in the US in particular are so underpaid, often finding the best deal is a necessity. What I recommend folks do is think about the true cost of something. And I include a lot of information here about how to do that, but it's understanding a little bit more about the manufacturing process. What kind of resources go into basic products that we buy without really thinking too much about it. It's understanding who are the workers who are involved at each level. Are they being fairly compensated? Are they being exposed to harmful substances like in a lot of mining and manufacturing processes? And the question that I urge folks to train themselves to ask is, is this too cheap? So if you think about something like maybe a cheap pair of headphones, that is a really complex Electronic product. It has plastic on the outside. It has metal, including rare earth minerals, on the inside. It's been manufactured by people who are able to build very small circuitry. If it's cheap, it's probably been shipped from overseas. So it's come across an ocean. Once you start thinking about things, that way you understand wow, there's actually a lot that goes into this, even though it's low priced. I can pretty much guarantee that the people who mined the minerals, the people who manufactured the plastic, the people who put the pieces together, I bet all of them were underpaid probably severely. you know, They probably earned a dollar a day or so, something in that range. When you start training yourself to say, is it too cheap? Is it too cheap? It becomes easier to think about all the things that likely went into a product. And really the goal is to, to say no to more of those products. Or if you do need something to think about, what are ways I could get this in a way that was likely less exploitative for workers, less extractive uh, for resources? And lots of marketers are going to try to convince you of all kinds of great things, like that a product is sustainable or a carbon neutral, net zero. These are these are buzzwords people love to use uh, to greenwash their products. But just looking at the price often tells you a lot and is a good way to to start being a bit more critical of your own choices.
0: Mm, I love that. Your response makes me think about my childhood where I had divorced parents and my mother was raising two daughters on a single income, essentially. And so we would go to the dollar store regularly, not because we needed anything at the dollar store right then and there, but because we thought we might get a deal. We might pay 97 cents for something that we might need in the future. And so your response there really lays bare the fallacy associated with that line of thinking. Like if we're paying 97 cents, somebody else is paying for that discount. I'm going to ask you all about the four questions we should ask ourselves before we spend 97 cents or $100 or whatever it might be I'm going to ask you that question after a quick word from this week's sponsor. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing, visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important Improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best Gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email. They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com, and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. And we're back with Tanya Hester, author of Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. Tanya, in your book, I think one of the most impactful parts for me as a reader, as a learner, was the four questions that we should ask ourselves before we spend money. So I'm hoping that you can give us those questions.
1: The landscape is shifting so often that I really wanted to give myself and give readers a way to think about any decision in the future. And I did that by creating four framing questions that I think really help you figure out, is this a financial choice that I wish to make? And the four questions are, for whom? So does the action proposed serve those who truly need the change because they have the most disadvantages, or does it largely serve those who already have lots of advantages? Second is, can everyone do this? Is this choice that I'm considering something everyone can do? And if everyone did it, would that be sustainable? If everyone can't do it, what does that tell me? That one, I I think about the zero waste movement all the time, which we can talk about more if, if you're curious, but it's so undoable to so many people. And so it's not really a good scalable solution. Third question is, is it too cheap? Which we talked about is something priced so low that it could not possibly have been produced or couldn't be offered without exploitation of people, the planet, or both. And what am I funding? What type of world am I helping create if I contribute profits to the entity offering something? You know, this is one of those things where a good example that's talked about a lot is Chick fil A, the the chicken sandwich um, fast food company, where a lot of people love those sandwiches and they've done a lot of work to push back against LGBTQ rights and, um, you know, lots of issues. We don't need to go into all those. I'm sure folks are, are loosely familiar at least. But if you're going to go get one chicken sandwich there, you know, a couple times a year, you're maybe spending $10 or $20. It's not great if you don't want to support what they're about, but it's only $10 or $20 versus spending thousands of dollars with a retailer whose values don't match your own. And so I really encourage people with that one to think about what are your biggest decisions and to focus on that first, because that's certainly where you have the biggest impact.
0: Yeah. And another aspect to your book that I found really accessible was that you listed out a fraction of the potential issues that we could all be concerned about. Plastic waste, minority rights. We could spend an entire episode uh, outlining all the issues. So do you have any tips or words of wisdom for those of us listening who are do-gooders, but they don't know where exactly they should focus their efforts
1: yeah i have an exercise early in the book that helps you think through your values in a way that are then applicable to financial decisions and we go through all the stuff as as you just said stephanie you know thinking about what's most important to me issue wise if you care most about wildlife in the ocean you're going to make different decisions than someone else who cares most about closing the racial wealth gap and if you care about closing the racial wealth gap, most of all, you might make a conscious choice to shop a little bit more, but make an effort to shop at small businesses that are owned by people of color in your community versus if you are fundamentally concerned about keeping everything plastic out of the ocean, you might choose to shop a whole lot less and to be much more discerning about it. And both of those are really valid and both of those help the situation. You know, They help change the status quo. Uh, but they are really different approaches. And we just so rarely in life sit back and say, what are my values? What are the things that I really want to see represented in the world? What are the things that I want to fund with my uh, money? You know, if you think about how you spend your time uh, and what kinds of things you want to contribute to, if if the ways you spend your time don't match the ways you spend your money, then there's an opportunity to get more in line with your values and to change your financial habits.
0: I think that exercise is also an exercise in intentionality, right? Like we each have one life and we each have a finite amount of decisions to make. So if we get clear with where our passions lie and perhaps even, dare I say, where our purposes lie, it might take the um, uh, the contradictions or it might make the contradictions uh, less paralyzing.
1: I think that, you know, one of the core premises of the book that we haven't talked about is giving readers the ability to see through the lies that we're told, because I think that the vast majority of companies out there want you to feel paralyzed. They want you to feel confused so that you listen to what they say so that when they say, "Hey, these glad bags are made with fifty percent, corn content or whatever plant is in them, that you'll believe them when they say that's a sustainable thing. Even though we know it's not, it's still fundamentally a disposable plastic product. Now, if you're a person who's disabled and has limited mobility and you need disposable products, I want those to be there for you. But I also want us generally to use less of them when we're able to. Uh, And so it's understanding the lies that we're being told, learning to see through them, learning to see where marketers' interests lie, that fundamentally they are always selling you something. And so it it benefits people who are looking to sell stuff when we say, hey, I am a do-gooder, I mean well, I want to make good decisions, but I feel really confused and overwhelmed, and so I'm just going to give up and surf Amazon. Uh, That's exactly what they want us to feel. So it's learning to see through that so that we don't have to succumb to it.
0: How does globalization factor into this? How does the world is flat in terms of commercializing products fit into this equation? Is the equation always don't buy from the big guy and always buy small, or is it a little bit more nuanced?
1: It's much more nuanced. And I talk about the the topic that a lot of people love to rail against of manufacturing in China and how... Manufacturing in China, it's fraught with lots of issues. If you buy a product made there, you're supporting you know, a, an unfair regime that is abusive to workers and to ethnic minorities like the Uyghur population uh, in Xinjiang province. Um, you're supporting a lot of stuff that probably most people don't feel great about supporting. At the same time, though, manufacturing in China and buying those products has been the greatest lifter of people out of poverty, possibly in the history of the world, but certainly in the last century. China used to be considered a very poor country. It's now considered in a World Bank sense, solidly middle class, and that's 100% owing to manufacturing. If we were to say no globalization, no buying anything from a big store or overseas, a lot of folks would regress in that sense and be much worse off. And I think we have to acknowledge that, that, you know, like it or not, if you love manufacturing, hate manufacturing, you know, whatever your personal feelings are, um, a lot of this stuff provides a livelihood to many, many people around the world. And so I don't think just writing off everything produced outside the U.S. or outside North America is a magical solution. I think it's more case by case. It's looking at, you know, is this thing likely very, very cheap? um, And was it shipped across the ocean at a high... Cost of emissions uh, when it could have been produced easily at home. But there are lots of things. If you want a cell phone, you're not going to get a phone made in America. Uh, There is no such thing. Uh, And they produce at a really high quality with a lot of the electronics that come out of China and other countries in Asia. And so there's no reason to shun all of it, but just to be more intentional and think about each product. You know, if you're going to buy a piece of furniture that's big and heavy, I don't want that shipped across an ocean because that's going to come with then a big price tag on the emissions uh, that aren't actually built into the price versus something that's small or light uh, and can come pretty compactly you know, that's a very different decision. So I know that's not the easy sort of like, here are the five simple rules to follow. um, But I really believe people can handle that nuance. I think one of the reasons we're in the situation we're in is because a lot of people talking to us for years have treated us like kids who can't handle nuance. And I just don't think that's true. I think people can be very clear-eyed about the challenges that we're facing and the challenges that, you know, we we face in the choices we make. Um, So I think you can handle it.
0: Yeah, and it's only the corporations who profit when we're not talking about the nuances. My final question for you, Tanya, has to come with individual action. This podcast, for example, takes the stance that we each, each and every one of us, the individual can make the world a better place. And I would say that your book does the same. But what would you say to listeners who are tuning in right now And they see the stats, and they realize that individual action doesn't actually make that big of a difference, and that it's actually the major corporations who are creating the bulk sin as it relates to global warming and climate change. What do you say to them?
1: I would say a number of things. I would say with some of our choices, it's not going to feel like you're individual actions matter, but to remember that they add up over time. So you getting a tank of gas for a car uh, may not feel like a huge deal in the scheme of things. Think about all the tanks of gas you're buying over the course of your life if you're someone who drives, um, or all the coal-based electricity you're burning in your home over the course of your life. That stuff really, really adds up. But I think beyond that, it's remembering that when we say corporations are responsible for 70% of emissions. That's us. We are their customers. We are their funders. We are the ones buying things that are driving those emissions. And so we can't take ourselves out of that equation. I think finally, I would say, pick a few choices where you really can see an impact. You know, if you say, I'm going to worry less about my purchases, but I'm going to practice wallet activism in the workplace and I'm going to fight for the people I work with so that they have better working conditions. You will see the impact of that. You will see it in short order. You will be able to see it right in front of your own face. Um, And so it's remembering that we're not just talking about fossil fuels and corporations we're talking about where you bank we're talking about where you choose to live how you conduct yourself at work and who you choose to work for the food that you eat um, thinking about you know do you want to be a gentrifier in a neighborhood that's displacing people or do you want to choose not to do that and not displace folks you know there are so many different financial choices that we make that thinking about it just as consumerism i think is is a false way to see it it's all the choices we make that involve anything financial, in any of those instances, you have power. And in plenty of them, you will see a direct impact from your actions.
0: Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tanya Hester. I have linked to her new book. It is titled Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. I have linked to it in this week's show notes. And the show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash now, on Thursday, we will be back for the second episode of the week, and it is that holiday gift giving episode. I've been asking you for weeks to send in, call in, give me your best gifting ideas for the holidays that take a step away from consumerism and a step towards eco-minimalist simplicity. Really quick before we say goodbye, a quick note. If you haven't left this show a review on Apple Podcast, what are you waiting for? Just go on with your bad self and do it. And thank you very much. I will see you on Thursday. Reach out if you need me.
2: Take care.